Numbers 1, these are the words of God. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting. On the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually, from twenty years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you. From Reuben, Elizur, the son of Shedeor, from Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai, from Judah, Nashon, the son of Amminadab, from Issachar, Nethanel, the son of Zuar, from Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Halon, from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Amihud, from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, from Benjamin, Abidan, the son of Gideoni, from Dan, Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai, from Asher, Pagiel, the son of Ochran, from Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Deuel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enan. These were chosen from the congregation, leaders of their father's tribes, heads of the divisions in Israel. Then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry by families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from twenty years old and above, each one individually. As Yahweh had commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben, were 46,500. From the children of Simeon, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, of those who were numbered according to the number of names, every male individually from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Simeon, were 59,300. From the children of Gad, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. From the children of Judah, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. From the children of Issachar, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. From the children of Zebulun, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulun were 57,400. From the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Ephraim, were 40,500. From the children of Manasseh, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. 
from the children of Benjamin, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Benjamin, were 35,400. From the children of Dan, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Dan, were 62,700. From the children of Asher, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Asher, were 41,500. From the children of Naphtali, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered by the tribe of Naphtali, were 53,400. These are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered, with the leaders of Israel. Twelve men, each one representing his father's house, so all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their fathers' houses from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were numbered were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For Yahweh had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp round the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every one by his own camp, every one by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the children, on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did, according to all that Yahweh commanded Moses. So they did. Amen. This ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. We come now to the book of Numbers. In God's mercy to us, accumulating much good uh, over through steady plotting over time, uh, we began September 9th, 2018 in Genesis 1 verse 1. Uh, and now we come uh, to the book of Numbers. Or... Its Hebrew name, uh, and uh, as we saw with Leviticus, remember, uh, Leviticus's Hebrew name was he cried out, talking about the Lord calling out from the midst of the tabernacle to give them the way into the tabernacle. Uh, and that, uh, perhaps for you, at least for me, uh, a much more helpful title for the name of that book. Uh, so also now with the book of Numbers, which draws its name in the Hebrew Bible, uh, from uh, the third phrase there, or the second phrase there, in the wilderness. Uh, and that is an apt name for the book of Numbers, uh, because this is going to uh, trace the, uh, the 
wandering. It's not intended to be wandering at first. Marching, uh, we would say, with the theme of this chapter, through the wilderness uh, of the people of God. Uh, and showing that although the people were very unfaithful, uh, not believing, not trusting, rebelling against God's authority and God's order uh, against whom he had set uh, over the people, uh, complaining and grumbling against God's provision. Uh, despite them doing that, uh, and worst of all, not believing the Lord about his giving the land and the people of the land into their hands, uh, and the Lord uh, judging that entire generation, we come at the end of the book to almost the same exact uh, numbers that God who uh, was striking down an unfaithful generation uh, was also in the midst of it, preserving and raising up uh, children to replace their parents, the great mercy of God. And uh, so the, uh, the title of the book, In the Wilderness, uh, reminds us of the same thing for instance, as Psalm 95 and, uh, and Hebrews 3 and 4 using Psalm 95, that when we hear God's voice, uh, we must look for grace not to go astray in our hearts, uh, that we might not be those who wander literally uh, in our hearts spiritually. Uh, and so we come to this book in the wilderness, and it begins with a census. Uh, and you know, it might not have been that exciting for you. Uh, I assure you that if you had membership on one of these tribes and uh, you were uh, belonged to one of these families who was under uh, one of these clan chiefs whom the Lord had selected by names, uh, it would be more naturally interesting to you. But this does come to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Christ our prophet addressing us here. Uh, and so it is, uh, it is interesting and necessary and useful for that reason. But even more than that, if we pay attention to uh, what he is showing us by this census, uh, we will discover uh, that many of the things that we've already identified as, uh, uh, as failings of the people in the wilderness are things that if they had been paying attention... Uh, in this census, uh, they would have been prepared to avoid. Uh, and so they need these wonderful truths about God uh, that we find in this chapter. First, God rules over his people. Uh, second, God is faithful to his promises. Third, God gives them an impossible mission. Fourth, God gives them the gift of participation or calls them to action, if you will. Uh, and then finally, in the last place, that it is God who has ordained this order for his people uh, and that it is a life-saving mechanism. Uh, first, then, God rules over his people. This is uh, what censuses express. You uh, do not have the ability or the right to muster a people unless you're in authority over them. In fact, uh, ordinarily, uh, the reason kings or governments take censuses uh, are for two primary purposes. 
one, to, uh, to muster you to go and fight the government's war or the king's war, uh, or uh, the other, to know how much they're able to raise in taxes uh, by taxing everyone. And so the Lord here asserts his sovereignty over the people. Uh, in fact, bless God, he is the one who doesn't uh, take a census in order to tax them, but he is the one who provides for them. There's only one government that has ever been able to provide for its people, and that is the, the government where Yahweh is king. Governments can only take what the people produce, uh, and uh, but only the Lord does that. Uh, and there is only one government that has ever fought for its people, and that is the one in which Yahweh is king. It's so ironic, isn't it, uh, that later they would come to Samuel and say, give us a king who will go out and fight our wars for us like all the other nations. What blind ignorance to the way nations and kings and wars work. But they literally had the only king who had ever gone and fought the wars for his people, although he does uh, employ them in it, but he fights for them and gives their enemies uh, into their hand. And so here is the sweet sovereignty of having Yahweh as king, of having Yahweh as Lord. Uh, and he orders a census, uh, which in part uh, communicates to them, reminds them that God rules his people. Now, one of the reasons why it took so long to read uh, in, in great summary form. I mean, the smallest of these tribes uh, would be a city roughly the size of Colombia. Uh, but uh, so we do have it in great summary form, and uh, it's probably implied here that uh, each of these uh, heads, these 12 or, or 11, he doesn't, uh, rather, no, it's 12. Sorry, Joseph is divided into two to make up for Levi. Each of these 12 tribes uh, that he lists here, are uh, he gives one chief, but under him there would be the families, so according to their families, and each one reporting their numbers. Uh, and this is how you would uh, number up 603,000 men uh, fairly quickly. So if you thought it was a long Bible reading now, just be glad that you didn't actually have to tabulate uh, all 603,000 or so of these men. And one of the reasons then that it was so long is because God is so faithful. You remember there were in Egypt uh, Joseph and his wife and his two children and Simeon who was being held in the place of, uh, of Benjamin, five. And there were 70 who came down uh, from uh, uh, from Canaan with, uh, with Jacob and uh, that 70 or 75, depending on how you count it, and the, the Bible uses uh, both numbers and reference that way, uh, that 75 is now a company of at least 2 million. 603,000 plus men of war and their wives and their children in the midst of a baby boom that was big enough to frighten Pharaoh uh, and your your floor is two million, and your uh, your ceiling is probably somewhere in the six million uh, uh, people range. God had been faithful 
to multiply Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as he had promised each one of them. It didn't look like it was at first. Remember, Abraham had uh, no heir, and then he had uh, Ishmael by his own sin, and, and only Isaac was uh, the, the child of promise, and Ishmael was sent away, and then Isaac had two, Jacob and Esau, but only one of whom was a child of promise. Uh, and Jacob has 12, but and a daughter, but that's not exactly sand of the seashore material, is it? And now a few generations later, and it's really not that many generations. Uh, remember that on one side of his family, Moses' grandfather was Levi. Just a few generations later, two to six million. Uh, and so here is richness of generosity and, uh, and great exercise of God's power just in multiplying his people, uh, some of uh, some of us have uh, have expressed our desire before God, prioritizing what He prioritizes, His image, and particularly His renewed image in His people in the earth. Uh, we too look and hope that God would uh, would do a great multiplying work among His people. But it is specifically to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he made this numerical promise. Uh, and you see the greatness of God's faithfulness. Every time they, um, you know, as they were making the count, every time they had the logistical uh, difficulties, and we're, we're about to get to those in the, in the third point, they would at least have the reminder of how faithful God had been to his promises. And this does remind us uh, not to despise the day of small things. For he still says, doesn't he, a multitude that no man can number. Uh, and uh, though narrow be the way and few proportionately those who take it, those few, the remnant, uh, don't read the, the idea of small into the idea of remnant because it is an innumerable multitude. Uh, and do not despise the day of small things. God is faithful. He's faithful to keep his promises. So God rules over his people. God is faithful to keep his promises. Uh, and the third thing that we see here is God's impossible mission. Uh, he intentionally, intentionally now takes his people uh, on a mission that they know to be impossible. I mean, I like camping, and you like camping. Some of you maybe don't like camping. Uh, and we like to play capture the flag, and we like to line up in armies and, uh, and arrange this group on this side and this group on that side, and we'll get to location next week, Lord willing. Uh, but this is really a logistical nightmare. This is, uh, this is why... When you're going to do some, something like that, uh, you cap it at a certain number of people. Here's at least two million, maybe as many as six million. Everybody's got to get fed. Everybody's got to have water. Everybody's got to go potty. It's got to be done in a way that doesn't, uh, that doesn't threaten 
uh, health and make everyone miserable. And not only that, it's two to six million sinners, which is one of the reasons that the, the first kind of logistic, one of the first logistical things that God did for them was set up the judicial system, you remember, uh, back in Exodus with Jethro and the elders and uh, uh, and the, the chain of command or the chain of appeal uh, going up to Moses. God has given them something impossible to do so that they would be forced to say, the only way that this can be done is by the faithfulness and power and goodness of the Lord of hosts. And so he has done for you, dear Christian. You may be not trying to wrangle two to six million uh, rebellious Israelites in the wilderness, uh, but you know the impossibility of your holiness. You know the impossibility even of the tasks that are set before you. Uh, God gives you that which is impossible to do because it's not to be done in your strength. It's to be done according to his word in dependence upon his strength. Impossibility is uh, a feature, not a bug. It is built into the design of the Christian life and the Christian church. Uh, would that we would serve our almighty God in that which is impossible rather than be discouraged uh, by uh, how impossible it seems uh, to make believers out of unbelievers and fill churches. It is intentionally impossible. And we're not supposed to come up with ways to make it feel and seem possible to us. We're only to receive the order that God has given and giving ourselves to what he has said to do. Know that when he does it, we will say only the power and wisdom and goodness of Yahweh of hosts has done this. But we are to participate. He gives us what to do. He gives them what to do. In fact, he gave some, them something to do that may not have, uh, that might have frightened some of them. Because he doesn't just uh, uh, use the word camp in the next chapter, uh, where he talks about where each of them camp. But he starts out here calling them armies making sure every time we hear the number, what does he say? He says, all who go to war. Uh, and actually the word able isn't in there. You're going whether you're able uh, or not. That's supplied in our English translation. God was arranging them in armies, which meant they had to fight. And so they had responsibility. Yes, God would give their enemies into their hands, but they were still going to have to use swords and spears and bows and they were going to have to take orders and uh, and march and uh, and it was going to be physically demanding uh, and situationally frightening uh, God's rule over them God's faithfulness God's power does not take away their responsibility what it does do for them is it makes their participation a privilege that they get to be warriors under the Lord, the King, who defeats all of his enemies? How they ought to have desired 
to do this and with what relish they should have studied and trained and embraced the chain of command that was set over them and been eager when they heard about the the, the giants that remained in the land still, the Anakim, they should have been with Joshua and Caleb saying, look at how big the guys are that we're going to slaughter. Because it was the Lord who had given them to do that. But there is real responsibility there, isn't there? Uh, and so we, we see here the gift of participation uh, in the responsibility that God gives us. Um, there are many times uh, in our earthly life, generally speaking, in our life as far as our days, uh, our daily labor goes uh, in a, uh, a land and in a world that, does, that yields begrudgingly now uh, its produce. Uh, there's much in marriage when you're a sinner and your spouse is a sinner. There's much in parenting, in pastoring, in being a citizen in a nation where there are many unconverted altogether. There is much that is wearying and difficult. But it has been established for us by God. He is the one who has ordained work. The family, that's an institution of his. The, the church, it's an institution of his. Even nations are institutions of God. He is the one who has established civil authority uh, and uh, the institution of nation and, uh, and government. And so it is a participation in something that he is doing, that he has given to us uh, in all of these things. And that too, just in the way that the census is described and the language used for each of the groups, he is communicating to them. So, he asserts his rule over them. Uh, he demonstrates how faithful he has been to multiply them and how surely faithful he will be uh, to bring them into the land and uh, to be their God, and uh, to be God to them and to their children after them. He gives them an impossible mission that uh, they might proceed only by faith and not by uh, by self-will or self-trust or self-righteousness. He gives them the gift, however, of participating, that they would not be uh, passive, uh, but participatory, participating. And then finally, it's God's order that is ordered here. Uh, now this ought to teach them submission. It's very hard to uh, complain against Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, uh, if you're in the tribe of Manasseh, because God picked him by name. Verse 17, Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name or called by name. Well, who called them by that name, kids? It was God. And what responsibility each of those men must have felt. Can you imagine, children? God names your name from Mount Sinai to Moses and says, you have to be in charge? Well, you would certainly take your responsibility seriously. And if everyone else knew that, they really should not complain that you're in charge. Some of you older children have had that, haven't you? 
mom or dad have been occupied with something or maybe they've gone out on a date or something and uh, one of the children is left in charge and everyone has to uh, has to obey that one why they're not the mom or the dad but they were named by dad as the one who's in charge well god has named the one who's in charge of each of these 12 tribes but did you know that we have something similar now god did not speak from heaven and say david Rentschler or david of clan Rentschler and charles of clan mangum and uh, James of Clan Patterson uh, shall be the elders at Hopewell. But he has given us in his word the way to recognize those whom he has called to be elder. And he has described the elders in Ephesians chapter 4 as gifts given from Jesus after he raised, rises from the dead and he's the victorious king and he gives gifts among men, apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers and even as we're seeking now the deacons uh, according to according to scripture and coming in God's providence and according to Jesus's own design for his church shouldn't those who are elders or those who are deacons serve with the same sense of responsibility to God who has set them apart and should we not cheerfully submit, since it's the Lord who put them in that place? I'm sure that uh, Gamaliel, son of Pedazur, was quite the sinner. And there were probably occasions uh, upon which his leadership uh, was an unpleasant thing for those who were under him. But he had been put there by God. And they should follow God's order because God is the one who's going to defeat even the Anakim, their enemies. But God is protecting them from something even more dangerous than giant Canaanite warrior kings. God is protecting them from God. Isn't that what he says about the Levites? Why they're not kept in the, why they're not listed in the army? They're not listed in the army because they're conscientious objectors and they're not going to go to war like uh, like the rest of their brothers. They're not listed in the army to fight against Canaanites because they were an army to attend to the tabernacle and to create a buffer, knowing clean and unclean and holy versus common. They, they would camp around, uh, around the tabernacle. And he says, so that uh, if anyone else comes near, yeah, they would have to be put to death. Verse 51, the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Uh, and then he says uh, in verse 53, the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle, the testimony that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. Because a holy God is much more dangerous to a sinful people than a bunch of Canaanites are. And so God's order, his organization is a life-saving provision. We follow whatever he says. We look uh, for his authority structure, the way Jesus runs the church, because Jesus loved us and he died for us to save us. And all of his instructions are to give us 
life and prospering and joy and fruitfulness. Such a good king, such a wise king is our God, even as, uh, as he showed himself here uh, to the nation of Israel. Now, many things come upon them in the wilderness. And the apostle in 1 Corinthians 10 talks about you know, how many things came upon them. And, uh, and he refers to particular incidents that we're going to come across in, in the book of Numbers. Uh, incidents in which the Lord killed many Israelites. He says these things happened to them, but they were written down for our instruction, 1 Corinthians 10 says, so that he who thinks he stands should take heed lest he fall. And praise God, he has brought us uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. He has gathered us uh, into a church. He has set before us his way that we might walk in it. Uh, and indeed, we think and hope to stand because we stand by faith. Uh, even as we'll hear uh, in God's good providence, or as we heard, sorry, in God's good providence to us uh, Wednesday evening, uh, that we stand or we continue by faith. But then that means that that's addressed to us, isn't it? He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And how do we take heed? What should we pay attention to? Well, Remember that God rules over his people. He has a right to you. And it's the best sort of rule. He's, he's the kind of king who fights for you. He's the kind of king who provides for you. No other king can do that. Remember that God is faithful to his promises. Remember that God has intentionally given you an impossible mission. Remember that God calls you to serve in the ways that he has commanded but that participating in that service is a gift from God. And remember that it is God who has ordered the order in the church and that he does so for our good. These are the things that are written down for our instruction. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy to uh, your people corporately, even though uh, you were righteous and just and rigorous uh, in uh, the punishment that you ultimately uh, brought on the generation that fell in the wilderness. We confess, O oh God, that you are marvelously patient with them. Uh, and so we, uh, we tremble before you, Lord, to realize the same unbelief uh, and the, the same grumbling uh, and the same rebellion that was in their hearts uh, is part and parcel of the sin that remains in us. And so we pray that your spirit who has given us uh, this word for our instruction, that he would bless it to us and that we would remember to fix our eyes upon you and particularly upon you in your son, our Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, uh, that we might not have hearts that go astray, but that might, we might at last enter your rest. So bring us, O Lord, into that rest at last. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.